word to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. You're using the few Bibles provided. That's page 982. If you're not used to looking at a Bible, we're going to be looking at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This week, um, we had some fresh green beans. I love fresh green beans. And uh, I took those fresh green beans, you know, and I cook them, and I, I like them still a little bit crispy. Right like I like them just cooking a little bit of water. It's a little bit, I don't like the, I like the fish on the Um, and I thought, well, you know, Anastasia loves green beans, and so I gave her a green bean. Well, the green beans that she loves are, of course, the pureed mashed ones. But even the the ones that you get that are canned, that are really when you're done cooking them, they're just much. <laughs> she likes those. Give her a little green bean, she chews on it, and chews on it for a little while, and stops. You know, plays or something. Then, uh, Colleen says, is she still chewing? She started chewing again. I said, no, I think she's just goofing around. And then she started to laugh. And when she laughed, I saw floating in her mouth four little green beans. <laughs> and, uh, this is a fun fact for you. You wouldn't think that somebody biting your finger with no teeth would hurt. <laughs> but you would be wrong. <laughs> she, did. she was not able to chew those, but she didn't want to give them up either. <laughs> so, and they're trying to fish them out of her mouth. And I had to get them one at a time. Get one, and she bit me a little bit and pull it out. And get another one. She bit me a little bit and get it and bite another one. Finally got all four of these you know, beans from inside of this pod out of her mouth. Now... I'll tell you, I was not mad at her for not being able to chew. It's not her fault. It's normal for her to not be able to chew. I've got an uncle, my uh, grandpa's sister's wife, husband, grandpa's sister's husband, who, um, due to uh, use of tobacco and different things, got tongue cancer. And he had to have his lip cut open and his tongue cut out and all these different he also <clears throat> cannot eat anything unless it's been run through the blender. He can't eat regular food for Thanksgiving or whatever. He's, everything he eats has to be blended up into a puree. And that's all that he's capable of eating. Now, there's a big difference in those two cases, isn't there? It's normal for a baby not to be able to eat solid food. But when an adult can't eat solid food, something has gone horribly wrong. There's something disfiguring. There's something broken. Last time, two weeks ago, we had a tour through the mall. here last week, and I was really, he did a great job, didn't he? He, did, he gave everything I put in my notes. I was really grateful for him. He, um, the two weeks ago, we were looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul told us about two different kinds of people. He said there are natural people and there are spiritual people. He said natural people cannot receive the word of God, right? It's, you know, that's a person who's unsaved. They cannot receive the word of God. That's natural. Then there are spiritual people. Spiritual people can understand the word of God. That is supernatural. And today we're going to learn about a third kind of person, someone who is spiritual but acts like they're not, and that is Unnatural. Those are carnal people. Some of you here are, you know, become Christians recently, and you know it's hard for you, you know, to learn things about the Bible. You've got to learn the ABCs. 
Some of you have been Christians a long period of time and have a superficial knowledge of the Bible and superficial obedience to Christ. That is like my uncle with no tongue. There's something wrong. And that was wrong. That was what was wrong for him. Because these people had been, remember, he, they had big problems. They were so deeply divided. And Paul said they were so deeply divided because they had no wisdom. And they had no wisdom because they were spiritual babies. And that's where we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Let me read this to you. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He said there's really only two kinds of people. There's spiritual people and carnal people. If you don't, uh, The Bible says if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So either you have the Holy Spirit and you're a Christian, or you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're not. And Paul says, but I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people. He said, I had to talk to you like I was talking to the flesh, meat. But I had to talk to you like you didn't have the Holy Spirit at all. He said, I had to talk to you like little babies in Christ. Now, how does it make you feel for somebody to call you a baby? You don't really like that, do you? So I said, I said, if I walked up to you and I said, you are just so immature, you kind of bristle. Just a second ago, when I was saying, some of you here have been Christians a long time and are still spiritual babies, some of you have hair on the back of your neck stood up like, not me, wait a minute. Who does he think he's talking to? And if that was you, then you just proved my point, didn't you? You just proved just a little bit of immaturity in that. See, the less mature you are, the more defensive you are about your immaturity. I was talking to a little kid. Oh, I don't I remember who it was. Uh, I, think, I think it was Jacob. And uh, I said, Jacob, you know, it's really great that you're five years old. I'm not five years old. I'm not a man. And now, if I told you... If I walked up to Brother Don and said, Brother Don, it's great that you're five years old. Yeah, wish, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to him, does it? But when you've got a little kid who's just a little bit older, who's just got a little bit of maturity, they hold on to that maturity tight, and they are defensive of that. If you're offended at the thought of somebody calling you spiritually immature, then you are probably spiritually immature. I remember, uh, I heard it well, I heard a, I heard a, a point, uh, Robert G. Lee, not Robert E. Lee, different person, Robert G. Lee was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, he met the church with Adrian Rogers, was the pastor of here to say love worth finding on TV or anything like that. Um, and Robert G. Lee took Bellevue from being a normal-sized church to being the largest Baptist church east of Mississippi and the second Baptist, second largest Baptist church in the world. It was a very successful pastor. And um, very uh, doctrinally sound, very, very powerful speaker. And uh, one day, he preached a sermon on a sin that offended some lady in the audience. And she came up to him after the service, and she said, Dr. Lee... I want you to know that I did not appreciate that sermon one bit. And he looked at her and said, ma'am, neither did the devil, so classify yourself. <laughs> if Paul says, look, immature people are deeply divided, immature people are focused on people, and then you get called immature and it makes you feel that way, you've got to classify yourself. <laughs> You've got to fall into one of those three categories. You're spiritual, you're carnal, or you're natural. 
you're natural, then you need to be saved. You trust Jesus. If you are spiritual, you need to keep up the good work. If you're carnal, you need to grow up. So Paul's topic here today is really things that keep us from growing up. Lots to grow. He's talking about the growth of the church. He's talking about church growth. Uh, not the way we think about church growth, like you get a TV show or a radio. We're just talking about it. the people in the church growing up and growing out. Okay? A church cannot spiritually mature without growing numerically, because if it's spiritually maturing, then the people are going to be witnessing, the people are going to be evangelizing, the people are going to be working. Um, a church that grows up and not out, uh, Paul says, if any man thinks he has knowledge, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So that's the problem there. If a church grows numerically and never grows spiritually, it's probably not a church. It's probably a very successful social club or you know comedy club or something. Okay? A true church, you grow up to God and out as you grow closer to God. But what are some things that block that from happening? The first thing is really obvious, isn't it? The first thing that can keep us from growing up into God and the first thing that can keep us from growing as a church is when I don't grow. The church is the people. You know, the church is made up of the people. And if I'm not growing spiritually, and I use I there in the generic sense of that, me being alone, but if we don't grow spiritually as individuals, then what happens to the church that's made up of the individuals? Well, you get things like... I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Paul says, I thought I was coming to preach to a church, and they put me in a nursery full of senior citizens. Said, I thought that I was going to find some people who were doing something for God, and I found a bunch of babies. <laughs> Let's look here. Well, and I, I, you notice he says brethren in verse 1. He says, you know, you're Christians, but I sure couldn't treat you like it. Verse 2, he makes it a little worse. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. He said, when I came and preached to you, you really wanted some fancy wisdom stuff. You wanted some flash and some bang. You wanted some deep things. He said, but you couldn't handle it. But you didn't have the maturity to handle it. Our pastor gave a great, uh, D.A. Carson, the famous New Testament scholar, not a pastor, uh, Gave a great illustration. He said, you know, the uh, Bible says that when they went fishing after the uh, resurrection, you know, the apostles went out and they went fishing together. And does, uh, does anybody remember how many fish they caught? That inverted anybody's mind? Okay, 153. So, is that I don't know if anybody here is really into Bible trivia. Well, 153 is the triangular number of 17. So if you make a triangle with three equal sides, and each side is 17 inches long, the area of the triangle will be 153. Now, 17, this is interesting, 17 is, of course, 10 plus 7. 10 is the biblical number. There's 10 commandments. 7 is the number of completion. But 7 is also 4 plus 3. Four for the church built four square and three for the Trinity. And so, if you look at the 153 fish, what Jesus was telling them was to, according to the commandments of God, to build the church four square into the completion of the Trinity. Now, that's completely made up. 
okay? But if I stood here nodding with a serious face, I bet that you'd think, wow, brother, that was deep. <laughs> I just took a number and I just split up a number a bunch of different ways and assigned them meanings. You've heard sermons like that. Maybe. Somebody takes something that doesn't mean anything and they analyze it and break it up and assign spiritual sounding things to it. And you know what? The problem is, if we don't have the teeth, the spiritual maturity, for something to go off in your head and say, you know, I know he's saying that from the stage, but that doesn't really make very much sense. Then the question is, how can you handle the really profound things of the Bible? When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you didn't understand when I told you of earthly things, how shall you understand when I teach you of heavenly things? Now, maybe you're wondering, okay, he me to know that I get that, that's different kinds of teaching. Some of the teaching is kind of light. Some of the teaching is deeper, harder to chew. You know, you need some more maturity for it. But what exactly does that mean? I'm going to invite you to turn really quickly to Hebrews. Leave your bulletin or something or your notes in 1 Corinthians. Don't leave your notes, but you're going to need your notes in Hebrews. Leave your bulletin in uh, 1 Corinthians and go with me to the book of <coughs> Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11. This was a repeated complaint against Christians. Uh, Paul probably did not write Hebrews, uh, but the author of Hebrews uses the same metaphor of milk and meat. We don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, it was traditionally ascribed to Paul, but very few scholars believe it was written by Paul for lots of reasons that I'd be happy to go over with you some other time. Hebrews 5.11, he said, of whom, talking about Melchizedek, that's not really important to us right now at this juncture, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Paul says, you know, I was about to talk about Melchizedek and said, I'd really like to talk about that. The problem is I can't because you are dull of hearing. Remember if I said, you're a bad listener. That's a little insulting too. I called you a baby and a bad listener. I said, can you imagine if somebody walked up to you and they started to say something? You know, oh yeah, I was really learning about this. And then midway through, they stopped and said, never mind, you wouldn't understand. Wrinkle up a little bit of that too, don't you? You say, well, wait a minute, I would you understand? Don't you know who you're talking to? Wah, wah. You can prove the point of immaturity, okay? Look at this, this is great. He says, but strong meat, he says, no, you really wouldn't understand. He says, verse 12, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He says, you ought to be teachers. Every one of you in that church here, the church that he's writing to, ought to be teachers. You've been in it long enough, you've known enough, that you ought to be teaching. But instead, you need somebody to teach you the ABCs again. Now, if I really wanted to upset you right now, I'd say everybody that feels competent to teach the basic principles of the Bible, raise your hand. Everybody who's teaching the basic principles of the Bible. I'm not going to do that, because I just think you mad. Paul, well, maybe not Paul, the author of Hebrews was deliberately making these people angry. And Paul is deliberately making the Corinthians angry. He says, I'm going to step on your toes a little bit because you're a little too comfortable and you're a little too pleased with yourself. 
said, you think that you know so much? Well, go up and stand up and teach. He said, oh, you can't teach? Well, let's look at some of the deep things of the Bible. Oh, you know, you just read it. You know, he said, well, I checked my box. I read my Bible today. You don't understand anything. He said, babies! He said, go sit in the corner. (laughs) And the more that bothers you, the more immature you are. That's what he's saying. That probably bothers everybody a little bit. No way, don't call me immature. Because pride blocks us. Well, I mean, Okay. He says in um, the, the next verse here, says, everyone, verse 13 is very important, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's made. And he says, if you use milk, it's because you haven't practiced the word of righteousness. See, being a Christian is never about learning something and it just getting into your head. It's about learning it and it coming in your head and going into your heart. Um, Adrian Rogers said that your home is a fine place to have a Bible. That your hands are a better place to have your Bible. Your head's a better place to have a Bible, but your heart's the best place to have a Bible. So I wonder, again, do we understand that when you learn something in the Bible, you apply it? And if you don't work out, so Anastasia was a chewing practice, you know, she she chews little freeze freeze-dried yogurt bites and chews little different things that they mush a little bit and then they melt. And she does that to teach her how to chew. Now, if she just leaves it in her mouth, it's going to melt. But she's learning how to chew, and she's developing these chewing muscles. And then she'll be able to chew some real food and chew it and get a little stronger and a little stronger and a little stronger. <coughs> As a Christian, you've got to take it in, and you've got to chew. You've got to practice it. You've got to chew a little more. You've got to practice a little more. You've got to learn and then obey, and then learn and then obey, and then learn and then obey. And that's the only way to maturity. You know, if I took you and I said, okay, we're going to have a correspondence course on swimming. I'm going to send you some material. You're going to read it. You're going to watch some videos of some people. And at the end of that, you're going to be able to swim. I hope that none of you would be dumb enough to give me any money for a correspondence class in swimming. Because what do you have to do to learn how to swim? Because <laughs> you've got to swim. You say, well, you know, I've been sitting, I've been in church, I've been a member of this church, I've been at church, doing different churches. I know so much about the Bible a world-class expert on how to swim. But what do mature people do to develop their muscles? They swim. Paul says you can't understand the deeper things about the Bible until you practice the things you already know. The author of Hebrews says you are unskillful in the basic principles of righteousness, and that's why you need milk. He says in verse 14, but strong milk belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The strong milk is for, sorry, meat is for the ones that are grown up, the ones who have practiced and learned how to use it. If you want to understand the Bible, you say, I read the Bible and I don't understand it. Are you doing what you already know? Are you practicing? Are you growing in strength? Because if not, then you're going to be stuck on milk. And part of it's discerning good and evil. Another thing about my baby is she will put anything into her mouth. I mean, I fished peas out of her mouth, but this week I fished a nickel out of her mouth. Did you get that? But there, I, you know, she looked and she smiled at me, and it was shiny. Stuck my hand in there and pull out a nickel. She will put anything in her mouth because she doesn't know any better. 
Here, there are a lot of Christians like that too. Some people say, well, I was reading this book, and I look at the book, and they're like, oh, there's a nickel in your mouth. Let me get that out of there. <laughs> Some people, you know, you, you say, oh, this is DT 153 in the triangle. Oh, I have to train them. teaching. Now you have to fish that nickel out of your mouth. you got to learn that's not food. And how do you do that? He says, by reason of use. How do you learn the deeper things about the Bible? By using the simpler things about the Bible. What Paul says to the Corinthians, you've got a whole church here of people who are spiritually babies. The author of Hebrews writes to this Hebrews and says, look, you've got whole groups of people who ought to be teachers and instead need to be taught. That's pretty convicting. They tell you on uh, Wednesday nights, We've got uh, the people who teach the teenagers, really ninth grade enough is what that is. And then you've got Courtney teaching first grade through eighth grade. Now, some of you ought to be teachers. So you've got to grow by reason of use. You've got to practice. You've got to get mature enough to understand. So he says, if you're unskillful in the word of righteousness, you are a baby. That's what he says in verse 13. Say, okay, well, what are these milk doctrines? You know, how do I know if I'm mature or not? It's one of those things that you think that you're mature, you may not be. Uh, if, you, if you bristle, if you're, we'll, we'll see more of that. But let's look at some of this in chapter 6. We'll just look at verse, uh, three verses here. It said, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on again unto perfection. He says, let's go past the basics, let's grow up. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faithful God. Okay, first milk anybody can understand is how you get saved. You turn from your sin, you turn to God, you trust God. <coughs> dead works, faith in God. Number two, of the doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. It's a pretty simple list, isn't it? Okay, salvation, baptism, the setting aside, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, how many of you feel like, if called upon, you could explain something that goes beyond those things? And then it goes beyond that's meat. If that's as far as your knowledge of the Bible goes, then that's milk. That's kind of challenging, isn't it? Some of you look at that and say, I don't know that I really have a complete understanding of everything on that list. Paul says, grow up. That's milk. Baby stuff. And if you're proud of your understanding of, you know, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, things like this, he says, then you're a baby bragging to the other babies about your bigger bottle. <laughs> he says in uh, verse 3, and this we will do if God permit. He said, I want to move on, and if God allows us to move on to deeper things, we will move on. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll stay there for the rest of our but I hope you see, what does he mean when he talks about milk? He says back in verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk, I fed you with the basics, with the ABCs, and not with meat because you were not able to handle meat and you're still not able. He said, you have never practiced chewing, you've never developed, you've never moved past that. So if you want to see what keeps the church from growing, he says the first thing here is that the people are infants. They're not practicing to go beyond the basics. 
So, if the knowledge of our church depended on your knowledge of the Bible, if the obedience of our church depended on your obedience to the Bible, how well would we do if it depended on you? If the amount that we had the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, depended on the amount that you have, love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, then how much of those things would we have? If our maturity depended on your maturity, I think that's pretty challenging. The first thing is what we do individually. Then it talks about the way that we act together. Look with me in verse 3, if you would. For ye are yet carnal. He said, I'm going to prove to you that you're carnal. I'm going to prove to you that you're infants, that you're little babies. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Paul gives a very simple test to see whether or not you're a baby or not. In Hebrews, they give one to, you know, can you understand the basic doctrines? But here, if I follow you around, are you a kind of person with envy and strife, fighting, and divisions? Are you a person of envying and bickering and splitting up? When a church has these things, when a church has division, when we alone don't grow up, and when together we don't grow together, that's our second reason. But there's no growth, is there? If clicks is the, the modern word for it, you know, kind of cluster together. The biblical word for it is actually heresies. Heresies means splitting into groups. So when you look at yourself, are you clickish? Do you treat people you have the people you like and the people you don't like? If you do, then by the authority of the Bible, I say that you are spiritually immature no matter what else. If you don't, then I say that you have a measure of spiritual maturity no matter how little of these other things you have. You are on the road to growth. See, we all start out as babies. There's nothing wrong, I told you already, there's nothing wrong with a baby being a baby. It's when you stay a baby that you've got a problem. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the fact that Anna can't eat solid food, but when an adult can't eat solid food, something has gone wrong. So you may not have much biblical knowledge if you haven't been a Christian very long. I'm not angry at you. If you're not being divisive and envious and striving. But he says, if you are those things, how can you possibly deny that you are carnal? Because if that happens, are you not carnal? Are you not worldly? You know, are you not this abnormal Christian and walk as men? You walk like normal people do. Why should a supernatural person squander the miracle of their heart? If God has given you a new heart and a new life, why should you waste that by using it just like everybody else? Why are so many Christians, I remember one preacher said that uh, 
the average Christian is so backslidden today, is so is in such bad shape today, you've got to backslide to be in fellowship with them. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Why do we act like spiritual infants and pat ourselves on the back? You know, I'm big. You're a little toddler. He said, you can't deny to me that your children, you can't deny to me that the Holy Spirit has no power in your life when there's envy and strife and division. He says in the next verse, let's, I'm going to have to pick up the pace a little bit. He says, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Paulos, are you not carnal? For one saith, you know, I really like Paul. So it says, well, I really like Apollos. You may remember, Paul started the church at Corinth. And he was a lousy speaker. Remember, it said his speech was contemptible. Apollos, the Bible says, was an eloquent man. He was a master speaker. Paul came in to start the church, and then Apollos came in to build them up, encourage them, to move them forth. They had different jobs. And because they had different jobs, some of the people said, you know, I really wish Paul was still here. Some of the people said, oh, I like Paul as much better. Some of the people said, well, I like Peter. David said, I want this person's style. And they failed to understand that God put Paul there for one reason at one point in the life of the church, and put Apollos there for a different reason at a different point in the life of the church, and put Peter there, you know, put different people there at different times. When we divide, it's because we fail to understand the big picture. We'll get more to that in just a second. Stick that on here. He says, well, one says, I'm a Paul, and another says, I'm a Paul. Are you not carnal? You know, it breaks my heart. I, I, well, I told you already, one of our sister churches up in the Woodlands uh, split and destroyed over the pastor people. Well, I don't like them. Well, I do like them. Um, the church in Baytown, everybody's really well acquainted with that because we tried to help them. They went in a period of five years from being a, you know, a strong church, giving $50,000 a year in admissions to not existing. The pastor left. We'd been there for a long time. Brother Paul left. Some of the people were so loyal to him, they'd never give the new pastor a chance. The new pastor caused some problems. Some of the people were loyal to him caused some problems. And what happens? They bicker and they splinter, and there's no church there now. Five years ago, he left. They had 125 on Sunday school, I think. And they were so what happens? Cluster over with my group. And you cluster over with your group. And this group clusters over here. You know, I, one of my favorite pictures, uh, a little comic, and it has a, uh, a boat sinking, you know, in the water. And the people at the bottom have got buckets that are, you know, dumping the water out. And the people at the top are sitting up there with their feet up. And the people at the top, there's a little speech bubble that says, I'm sure glad the hole isn't on our end. How often do churches act like that, you know? I'm going to be concerned with my problem, and you be concerned with your problem, and you be concerned with yours, and we're all going to cluster together. <coughs> How destructive is that? It's lethal. It's immaturity. Baby talk. You know, it, when it, it's, it's normal. It's not normal. Okay? I'm going to back up. I'm going to be careful the way I use these different words. Okay? The spiritual Christian is the normal Christian life. The carnal Christian is abnormal. Something is wrong. But most Christians are abnormal. If you are living the normal Christian life that the Bible describes, where it's God first, 
putting other people before yourselves, ignoring your own preferences and everything else, to reach everybody with the gospel, becoming all things to all men, so you might all means save some. That's abnormal. Say, well, nobody does it like that. So the abnormal Christian is really the normal Christian. What we think of as the normal Christian, somebody who studies their Bible and memorizes their Bible and prays and comes to church every service and works and witnesses, we say, oh, that's strange duck there. Look at that people in Sunday school. But that's the normal Christian life. So you've got this baby, these babies, and this division, and all these things. Because one says, I'm a Paul, and another one says, I'm a Paul, and another one says, I'm a Peter, and another one says, I'm a Christ. He says, You are proving to me that you're carnal. He said, You can't deny it. And so then his question is, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? Look, ministers by whom you believe. Let me define that word minister for you. That word minister is diakonos. We get our word deacon. What was a deacon originally? A deacon originally was a waiter, table waiter. He says that Paul and Apollos, the pastors, the ministers that they knew, would change the meaning of the word minister. So he says the servants were one came and they were table waiters. All they did was bring God's stuff to the people. Paul says, you can't follow me. I was a waiter. God mixed this stuff up in the kitchen, said, take this to this table, and I just brought it. He says, you can't follow Paul. So Paul was just a waiter. He just took what God prepared and passed it on. Who are they? Except ministers by whom you believe, just servants that brought the belief to you. Even as the Lord gave to every man. God gave one job to Paul and another job to Apollos, and all they did was serve in those ways. He says in verse 6, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Now he's talking about it as a field. He says, Paul came, he said, I planted the seed, I planted this church. That's actually what he said. He said, I started this church. That was my job. He said, Apollos came, and Apollos watered it. Apollos added to it. But who is it that makes the plant grow? God. If I took some plants, and I gave you a plant, and I said, okay, your job is to take this plant and give it sunshine and water and fertilizer. And I give somebody else a different plant, and I say, your job is to give it only water. But if your job is to give it only sunlight. Your job is to give it only fertilizer. And then I give one person a dead stick, and I say, I want you to give this water and fertilizer and sunshine. Is that dead stick ever going to grow? No. He says, I plant, somebody else waters, somebody else fertilizes, somebody else weeds, different people serve different purposes in the church. He says, but God's the one who puts the life in it that makes it grow. That's a big deal. When we fail to understand that each person has got a different role, that each person has different giftings. We end up divided. And when we don't understand the way that God wants to grow us by one thing from this person, one thing from this person, one thing from this person, when we don't understand that, we don't grow. And we wonder, what's this block to grow? It's horrifying to think that we can be God's people and miss God's plan. 
It's, so let's go ahead and look at verse 7. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. In Greek, it's rearranged a little bit for a little bit of emphasis. It says, the one who plants isn't anything, the one who isn't waters, and the one who waters isn't anything, but it's the one who gives the increase. God. Puts the word God at the end of the sentence. So it kind of adds a punch to it. Said, Paul says, why are you focusing on the one who plants? Why are you focusing on the one who waters? They're doing the job that God gave them. When you get caught up in people, you've got a problem. I, uh, years ago, when we were still going to Alvin, uh, the Sunday school teacher, not a good Sunday school. And there's somebody I knew had a very bad attitude about it. And I said, instead of thinking about all the things you can't learn from him, what if in maturity you went and sat down and focused on the things that you could learn? I said, I know that He's got some different problems every lesson that he has about his time in the Vietnam War. He just gets kind of stuck in a rut. said, but what if you go to him and you look and say, okay, what is God giving me that this servant is passing on? You know what happened when she did that? I've never learned so much. Now, did that person suddenly become a gifted teacher or particularly smart? No. It's about understanding that it's not about the person. It's about the God. So when a pastor leaves the church and a bunch of people leave the church too, there's something defective there, isn't there? Because it's not about the person. The person has a pipe that the blessings of God flow through. They're waiters that just bring in what's at the table. If you want to break the barrier that keeps you from growing as a Christian, that keeps us from growing as a church, the first thing is to grow up yourself. You've got to admit you're immature. You've got to say, you know, I'm a baby. I'm not really taking in any solid food. I'm bickering. I'm fighting. And then to quit clustering. That's so human, isn't it? We always want to cluster. You've got a group of friends, and they want to, you know, let five people become friends, and they want to break into two groups of three. We'll have one person that's in both groups. There's always all of this division. That's just who we are, naturally. But if you've been saved, if you realize that you were a sinner and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, he put life in you, and that is supernatural life. And I asked it before, I'm going to ask it again. Why should supernatural people squander the the miraculous hearts that God has given them? Does it make any sense? If God has given you the ability to love your enemies and pray for them that you should do them, pray for them that persecute you, and pray for them that despitefully you should love your enemies to do them, that you hate you, and pray for them that despitefully you If God's given you that ability miraculously, why would you waste that miracle? Can you imagine if the woman that uh, God blessed for the oil and the flour didn't run out, if she had just said, you know what, I'm just going to leave this over here. That's pretty cool, but I'm not going to. You are not going to have a miracle in your house and not go and scoop that out and make bread for the whole neighborhood. You hear me? Where is the power? If God's given you the power in your heart to be supernatural, where are you going to waste it? So, growing, there's all these seminars and stuff about church growth and different things. You know, I've never attended a seminar on baby growth. 
Because you know what happens? Feed it or her. Keep her, <laughs> keep her warm, keep her healthy. Do you know what she's going to do? She's going to grow. Healthy things grow. So the point is to remove the blocks to grow rather than trying to incite it. So those are our two reasons. But look at this. He says, now, verse 8, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. So Paul says, look, I'm not a good speaker. I'm very theological. Paul is a great speaker, not very theological. He says, but we're one. We're on one team. We're on the same goal. He says, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. He says, look, I'm going to stand before God for what I've done, and Paul's going to stand before God for what he's done, but we're all on the same team. We'll talk more about that next week. For we are laborers together with God. He says, all we are are God's workers. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Husbandry means cultivated field. You're God's garden. God is growing his garden. That's you. He said, the servants that come in, all they do is serve them. Are you growing? When the plants in the garden grow, the garden grows. When we, you know, one of my, my one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the book of Galatians. He says, "If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another." So if you're going to be backbiting and you're going to be fighting, he says, "Make sure you don't eat each other up." How can we apply this in some broader senses? One, if, of course, as a church, I mean that's the immediate sense. To that work, you know, you've got people at work you work with, or you've got family members. Are you teaching your family to be more like Christ? Well, here's my question. Are you being spiritually immature, full of envy and strife and division? And, oh, well, we don't talk to this side of the family because of this thing that happened. You know, that was only in 1988, so it's a really big deal. You know, families are. Is your family going to grow any closer to God when you're like that? No. What are you teaching your family? When you're at work, and there's the temptation always to fall into different kind of cliques and different things. Are you teaching people that that's how God operates? When you come into church, you know, do you have people that you're like, okay, I've got to go see this person, I'm going to avoid eye contact with this person? What do you do? When you let yourself Stay a baby. You're in trouble. When you cluster, you're in trouble. First block to growth is when we don't grow ourselves. The second block to growth is when we don't grow together. But the breaker of the blocks to growth is God. Because God's the one that wants you to grow. So what can you do this week? If you're divided with other people, the Bible's pretty clear about that, isn't it? Says, go to the person privately, talk to them if they've sinned against you. If they haven't sinned against you, you need to get over yourself. Right? We all, everybody needs a little dose of that every now and then. If the but if somebody sinned against you or you've sinned against somebody, you've got a responsibility to go to them and make it right right away. What about growing up maturity-wise? I talked about this on Wednesday night, I'm gonna say it again. You've got to memorize the Bible or something like that. Memorize the Bible. You have to memorize it. 
and then you've got to apply it. So what you need to do is you need to open your Bible, and you need to read it, but you don't need to read it and then say, check one chapter of the Bible. You know, and you don't, you know, that that is milk at best. You know, milk, milk is pre-digested food. The mother digests the food and gives it to the baby. A servant is milk. You know, I, I digest the food and I give it to you. I spend, you know, 10 or 12 hours on studying every possible word meaning and everything else in the Greek and then digest it for you. But meat is you look and you say, okay, I'm going to take this chapter and I'm going to study it until I understand it backwards and forwards. And then I'm going to pick it, I'm going to figure out what does it mean to me and I'm going to start doing it. And then I'm going to pick part of it and I'm going to memorize it so that when I'm struggling with doing that thing, I'm going to remember this verse. Too old to memorize, I can't do it. It's too hard. Memorize everything that's important to you in your entire life. You can say it's not important to me, and at least then you'd be honest. You know, the Bible's not important to me. The great question Do you believe everything you see on TV? No. I hope not. If you do, I've got some other concerns for you. Do you believe everything you read in the Bible? I hope you do. So, here's the question. Get ready for this. Move your feet. Do you spend more time with what you don't believe than what you do believe? That doesn't make very sense. What sense does it? If you had somebody to be honest, that was honest, that you could talk to, or you had somebody that was a liar that you could talk to, who are you going to spend more time with? Well, I'm not going to listen to that liar. So why do you spend more time with what you don't believe than what you do? So if we're going to grow up, it's going to mean taking the milk of the Bible, the pure milk of the word. So 1 Peter 2.11 uses milk to mean all of the Bible. It's a slightly different message. You take what's going to nourish you, and then you grow strong applying it and using it. You know, I don't care. You know, read four chapters of the Bible a day, you'll read the Bible in a year. But if you are reading four chapters of the Bible, and it's just going straight through your ears, wasting my time and yours and Everybody. But if you're coming and you're praying and you're saying, Lord, I'm going to take this paragraph and I'm going to read it over and over again until it's halfway memorized just from that. And I'm going to look up every word I don't know. I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to pray, God, show me how to do this. You know what happens? Your jaw muscles start to get stronger. And you start to get mature. And the more mature you get, the more you can handle. And the more mature you get, the less you will be able to tolerate Petty bickering and clicks and infighting. If you're comfortable with those things, classify yourself. So today, you're one of three kinds of people. If you're a spiritual person, I'm so glad. If you're the kind of person who reads your Bible and applies it and follows God and just really is close with God, I love that. That's wonderful. Most people that think they're spiritual people are probably not. If you're proud enough to think you're a spiritual person, then you're probably not. Are you a carnal person? Are you a person that's come to Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit in your heart, but I have to say, I can't talk to you like a spiritual person because you don't apply it, you don't use it, you don't have any muscles spiritually. Your muscles are just going along with the world, just going along with your traditions, just going along with your preferences, just going along with your whatever. If that's the case, you need to come and repent. That's not a, an oopsie. That's a sin. 
if you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I am a disgrace, that I haven't grown up. I'm sorry that with all the things you've given me, I haven't matured. Or maybe you're a natural person. Everybody starts out as a natural person. You're just who you are. You go along with everything else because that's how you were made. But if you're a natural person, you need to know that you don't have to stay the way that you are. That the Spirit of God is willing to supernaturally come in and change your heart from the inside out. You say, I don't know how I could ever get past these basic things. I don't know how I could ever not be argumentative and fighting and jealous. I don't know how I could ever get past that. The only way that you can is with a miracle. A miracle in your heart. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. If you've been trying to study the Bible, you've been trying to follow God and haven't ever gotten anywhere, you may be a dead stick with plenty of sunshine, plenty of fertilizer, plenty of water. question then is, will you, can you, what the Bible says, make your election and calling sure? Can you be sure that you trust in Jesus? Can you be sure that today you die, that you can say, Lord, I've turned from my sin, and I've turned to you, and I've trusted you? If you haven't, I want you to make that decision. If you are carnal, I want you to take that as a sin that you spit out of your mouth. Say, I'm not going to be lukewarm anymore. I'm not going to be a baby anymore. I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to serve God. We stand that as the musicians come forward. Would you bow your head to me in prayer?